love God, love people, pursue excellence, and choose joy. That's what we've been talking about for the last couple weeks and the weeks to come. And today we're talking about pursuing excellence. And I want to make the claim that excellence brings with it peace. And try to explain to you kind of why I think that that holds water. Excellence brings peace. What's the difference in riding a roller coaster at Disneyland versus riding a roller coaster in the grocery store parking lot from the traveling carnival that comes through? Well, to be honest, a lot of money, but, but there's some peace that comes knowing that, hey, this was set up right, and this was done really well, and the person operating it actually knows what they're doing. What's the difference between eating at uh, Olive Garden versus Waffle House? Well, there's a little bit of peace there. Maybe you think Olive Garden's maybe a little bit cleaner, not super fancy. Waffle House, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, forget, I, forget, I forget who I'm talking to, sorry, that wasn't a bad example, I should have written, should have written a better one on that. Okay. Who cares how long that's printed and sitting on the table, it's fine, it's fine, just put it in your pocket. What about this, what's the difference in, in the feeling that you get between staying at maybe a Ritz-Carlton versus staying at the Western Inn and Carrollton right off the bypass? Cool. Yeah, there's some, there's some peace that's going to come from the excellence of the service or the surroundings that are around there. Or what about this? Uh, this is get a little bit political, and, uh, but I'll say it anyway because it's fun and I can. And, but what's the difference between getting a fried chicken sandwich at Chick-fil-A versus Popeye's? Well, there's peace at Chick-fil-A. They're just done with excellence. I haven't had the Popeye's one yet. I know it's a big, it's a big thing. Less likely to get in a fight with Chick-fil-A than Popeye's for trying to get a chicken sandwich. Because it's done with excellence, and there's a little bit of peace that comes like that. Yeah, yeah. But also, I feel like if my life, if our lives are characterized by excellence, the people that are around us are going to feel more at ease. They're going to feel more peaceful to spend time with us, to be around us, to open up to us. For example, if your life is one big hot mess, and it's just one crisis after another crisis after another crisis, there's no peace that comes with that, and people aren't going to want to be around too much. If the business that you work at or that you operate or you own is characterized by excellence, it's more likely your customers will feel peace in doing business with you. Um, this is a big retail event. I did a little bit of Black Friday shopping this, this week, and it was the best experience ever because it was absolutely excellent. I needed new tires for our van, so that was my black tire. My Black Friday purchase. We got new tires on our van because it needed it. That's very exciting, isn't it? That's what happens when you get older. You buy like, oh, and there's a good sale on tires. But I had the best experience ever, not just because my brother is the manager of the discount tire store where I got the tires, but he told me this is the best time to buy tires, and I needed them. Uh, but so I took the took the van over to Luke's house, dropped it off with him that night before. So I'm still laying in bed on Black Friday morning. We spent a couple nights at my parents' house. You don't sleep as well when you're away from home. But still laying in bed at 8.45 in the morning, you can judge me if you want. I hadn't even gotten up yet. And I get a text message on my phone from Discount Tire Company. It says, your vehicle is ready to be picked up. And I'll tell you what, now that is excellent. And that brought about peace for my day. Now I utilize my brother to have him take in the car. He said, well, if you want to drive it in yourself, you can. Or if you want to drop it off at my house, and I'll take it in with me in the morning. We're going to come first thing. Sign me up for that. But it's just an excellent, seamless process that I went through. got a text message saying, hey, my tire, my my vehicle was ready to be picked up, and I went and picked it up a couple hours later when I was ready to leave the house. But there was this excellence that came along with that service that was offered to me, and it was just an awesome, awesome 
experience. Now, let me make one point crucially clear. When I say that we are to pursue excellence, and we have excellence in our lives, individually and corporately as a church, I'm, excellence does not equal perfection. It doesn't, because I'm not calling us to be perfect. We will never be perfect. But it's about where our priorities lie and what we want to choose to put a big focus on. There's lots of headlines that are in the news lately, but I'll share with you some good ones that are happening. Maybe you've seen the stories about the, the new movie that's coming out about chronicling the life of Mr. Rogers. Tom Hanks is playing Mr. Rogers that just came out about a week ago. Fred Rogers was as authentic as they come. In 2010, Benjamin Wagner did a documentary called Mr. Rogers and Me, and he stated, Mr. Rogers wasn't playing a role on his TV show. The Fred Rogers that you saw on the TV show was the same Fred Rogers that you would meet in real life. Mr. Rogers' backstory a little bit is that he grew up as an overweight, sickly kid that went through a lot of teasing. Yet he found a deeper meaning in life through cherished relationships with other people and with God. He wore sweaters that were made by his mom for the show. She knitted one a month until her death in 1981, and he trusted her color choices because he was mostly colorblind, so he trusted his mom to make him sweaters, and those are the ones that he wore on his show. The ordained Presbyterian minister, he treasured his faith, and he lived by a quote that he had up on the wall. It says, that which is essential to life is invisible to the naked eye. That which is essential is invisible to the naked eye, because the right priorities in life, in your life, and in my life, we can seldomly see those. But what we can see is the evidence of those. The Bible calls those fruits. When I have the right priorities in line in my life, God produces that fruit, that evidence of our faith and the things that we do. Now this movie, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, um, it's open in theaters, and Tom Hanks is playing that leading role of Mr. Rogers. And that historic PBS show, it ran from 1968 to 2001. Fred Rogers passed away in 2003. Mr. Rogers started his days at 5.30 in the morning, and he started by answering mail. Not email, but mail. And he answered every single letter that he got. Every day, he would respond. He had a perfect track record for answering letters that he got. And we have a hard enough time. You're not responding to a text message, let alone getting out a piece of paper and writing down a response to all the kids that are sending out to him. And why did he choose to do that? Well, he chose to do that because he knew what he did matters. And those people took time to write to him. That it meant a lot to them. And so he just wanted to turn around and write back to them as well. Now really, if we can just imagine the volume of letters that he got, that track record is enormously impressive, and it's really beyond comprehension, but it pales in comparison to the perfection that God wants, that God has for us. That God shows for us that God never does anything wrong. He is always doing the right things. He's always choosing to do the right things, and anyone can come to God, and even though we are not perfect, our Heavenly Father is he is perfect. And when we're trying to show the light of Jesus to other people, if we're going to shine out and that we actually care what we're trying to do, it's going to make it's going to make a big difference. And people can tell the difference. So I think in some areas of life, having this sense of excellence about what we do and what we choose to do is going to bring about peace. Now, logos for companies, a lot of them are very recognizable, um, and some more than others. But logos, they can be excellent, but they can still be flawed. Now, whose logo is this? Google. This is Google's G. One version of their logos have gone through different um, 
versions of their logo throughout the year. Now Google puts us in touch with endless resources. We can look up information. We can find all, all types of things and answers to questions when our brains don't work right. It has a very simple logo, but it does have a little bit of an imperfection in it, and that's by design. You see, the letter G isn't a perfect circle. They had to bring it in a little bit, so it would look right, because if you bring up the, the next picture here, it, the two bites are, the one on the left is the Google logo that they use a little bit, and the one on the right is the one that is drawn with a perfect circle, but to our eye, it has a, an aesthetic change to it. It almost looks like the G has a little bit of, a, of an overbite. It looks a little bit out of proportion. So what they did when they were designing it is they intentionally didn't make that G a perfect circle because our eyes play tricks on it. They do. Sometimes things, when they look right and are a perfect circle, they, they, they just feel off a little bit. So Google, when they designed it, said, let's bring it in a little bit. Let's make it look better. And then this imperfection, um, they kind of wanted to use that as a model for their company. They want to stay innovative and do different things and be unconventional. But if we pursue excellence as individuals, as Christians, as the church and our businesses, we're not pursuing perfection because that's impossible to set ahead and we're not going to be perfect. Because I don't want us to be a perfect church or ever claim that we can be because we can't. But what I do want us to do is pursue excellence. Let's see the things that God has called for us to do and let's do them and let's try to do them really well. Not to make it about a performance, not to make it about something being perfect, but just showing, I think, letting other people experience the peace that comes with things that are done and that are done well. And I think that goes a, a really long way. In fact, the people in our world are looking for peace. This world is so chaotic, there's so much stuff that's going on that we're reminded every day that it's out of our control. People... We have this longing for peace, this peace that only comes through Jesus. Now, Paul wrote in his letter to the church, that, we, that is the book of Philippians, he wrote to an excellent church full of excellent people, and he addressed some of the imperfections that were threatening to steal some of the peace. So let me read in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, we'll read verses 1 through 9 for our passage today. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and whom I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, to help these women who have labored by my side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord's at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the God of peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8 continues. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. It starts out in verse 1. It says, therefore, my beloved brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Saying they're doing good things, they're an excellent church, they're doing a lot of good things, but there are some things that aren't quite right, some things that need to be addressed, because we're never going to be perfect 
The disciples weren't perfect. The first church in Acts wasn't perfect because it was made up of people. Because honestly, if we could be perfect by ourselves, we wouldn't need Jesus in the first place. But what we do know is that we need Jesus because we can't. We have this tendency, I have this tendency in myself to not to do the things that I know that are right. We have a world all around us that's just screaming at us, wanting to take us all in different directions and not do the things that are of God, and instead to focus on the things that are temporary, that aren't going to last. And we learn pretty quickly, as if we are, are wouldn't already know anyway, this church isn't perfect. In fact, that's why Paul wrote most of the letters that he wrote to the churches, because he knew there was something that they needed to be taught. There was something that they needed to be reminded of. There was something that needed to be corrected, and because he loved them and he wanted the very best for them in the communities they lived in, he was, wasn't going to ignore these things, that he was going to talk about them. So he goes on, how would you like it if you had a coral and your name was recorded in the Bible forever? Would you love that? Yodi and Sinti, they're probably thinking, man, I really wish that our names weren't there. But if you look at the way that Paul goes in and that he describes them, he doesn't attack them, he doesn't call them bad names, he doesn't say it was really your fault or you shared the blame 70-30, but you guys need to forgive each other and get over it. But what he talks about is that they do need to set aside the differences that he had, that they had. And when he talks about them, he says, agree in the Lord, quit arguing, quit causing trouble. Paul didn't even live there. He didn't see on Facebook that they were arguing with one another. He had heard it through other means that there were some issues that were going on in the church, and it warranted enough for him to write it down to a letter that would be recorded in the Bible for all of time. And yet, as he describes them, he doesn't point out their flaws, he doesn't point out all the ways that they made mistakes. He calls them, he says, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together, and with Clement, the rest of the workers whose names are in the book of life. He says they're having a disagreement, they're having a problem, and we need to fix it, but they're all included in the kingdom of God. They are a part of the church, even when we mess up and when we fall short and when we do things that I have to be corrected on. We're still included in the Lamb's book of life. We're still a part of the kingdom. And notice that he pointed out the things, the good that they have done, not the current trouble that they were in. He didn't ignore it, because when we ignore problems, we know that they build, and then we trip over them later when we think that they're hiding somewhere. They come up with the most inopportune of times. But he reminded them that they were co-laborers together in the gospel. He honors these women for serving with him and helping him doing what uh, the work that God had called for him to do. Philippians 4, 4 is one of these verses that, are, that become very familiar to us. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. The Lord is here. <clears throat> Paul's wanting to make sure that this issue that's going on between these fellow servants in the church doesn't become what they are known for. He wants to make sure that they're known for the thanksgiving that they have. And the book of Philippians is a book all about the joy that we are to have as children of God. Joy is an attitude in life, and it's something that we've got to work to maintain as much as we can. Now, you and I all know that there's lots of things in life that will test our joy. Right? Family, neighbors, finances, bills, pets, sports. All these things that we think we like can turn on us. So maybe there's a hobby or something that you like to do, and it just doesn't work out right. You get really frustrated at it. You think, hey, this will be fun, and then it's a nightmare. It tests our joy. <laughs> Steal things from us. Paul gives us a few things we can do to keep our joy and our peace. In verse 5, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. I need to make sure that I am in control of how I behave and how I think and my emotions. 
Our emotions are good, and they come from God. He gave them to us. But sometimes they can get out of hand, and they can get me in trouble. They can make me say things that I wish later I would never have said, or do things that I never would have done. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. If we want to be more joyful and we want to be more peaceful, we need this reminder, I think, that the Lord is at hand, that he is right here. And it goes on to say in verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. There's this neat thing that we got to celebrate Thanksgiving this past week. Maybe you had a good time and maybe you had a hard time, uh, but it was Thanksgiving nonetheless. And we're able to, we have this built into our culture around us, this ability to, to be reminded that we are to give thanks. And we have these reminders in Scripture all over the place that we are to be a thankful people. I don't want to give thanks for what God has done for us and how God has provided for us. And then we have this clear command of God that we are to remind Him and to give thanks to Him. And if we want to be more joyful and more peaceful, I think we do what verse 6 says. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, and with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. What's that telling us to do? Pray. Talk to God. Let him know what your requests are. Let him know what you're struggling with. Let him know what is going on well. Let him know what you don't understand. Let him know the questions that you have. Let him know the things that you just can't wrap your head and your heart and your mind around. And let him know because he wants to hear from you. And if we want this peace that passes all understanding, that transcends what we can have, we have to do our part. I've got to be willing to talk to him. And I think that's what Paul is telling us. We have this reminder here that we need to, to pray about anything and everything. And then the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, is what verse 7 says. He says this peace that comes out when our hearts and our minds are guarded. To keep watch, to have it protected. Whatever means necessary to guard our hearts, we need to do, we need to take. I mean, does anybody here, do you want that kind of peace in your life? Well, certainly we do. I want that. I want to experience that. I don't want to panic all the time. I don't want to feel like it's just one constant battle or there's always fires to be put out or I'm never in control or I don't know that I can trust God. Whatever it is, we want, and I think we long for this peace in our life that only, only, only comes from Jesus. And the peace that he offers, it goes beyond what I can understand, is what verse 7 tells us. It surpasses all understanding, and that is the peace that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You can only find that kind of peace in pursuing Jesus. And I think when we attention to what God has called for us to do and we choose to do those things as well as best we can. I think that offers just a little glimmer of peace to people around us and it's going to be contagious. People want to be a part of that. By whatever means necessary we can use to bring people into the kingdom I want to be willing to do that. I'm going to read verses 8 and 9 again. Another some of Paul's really famous words. It says, finally brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
What you have learned and received and heard and seen and you put these things in practice. And what? And the peace of God will be with you. Verse 8 says, it says, don't focus on the negative. Don't focus on all the bad. Don't focus on the things that you can't control. But focus on the things that are excellent. Focus on the things that are of God. And that is when that peace can come out. Practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. And I think if we want peace in the church, we want peace in our lives, we have to focus on what is true. We need to excel in truth. Back in the very beginning of verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, a word at its very heart, it means true in conduct, sincere, upright, honest, real, genuine. Or it has this idea behind that word of something that's unconcealed. There's nothing that's hidden. There's no pretense to it. There's nothing that's hiding. That it is true. We need to focus on what is true and the gifts that of the truth that come from God and not the lies that come from the enemy that are around them. And I think we will excel when we appear to be and we're not hiding behind masks that project, hey, we're perfect. Hey, we've got it all together. We have perfect marriages. We've got it all figured out because the truth is no one here is perfect. None of us have it all together. My wife and I do not have a perfect marriage. There's no one here that has everything figured out. And honestly, there's probably not many of us that have very much figured out in this life. We're all trying to figure out together with one another. And while we can't be perfect, I think that we can be an excellent example of Jesus. And what we do and how we act and how we behave and what we know from Scripture and doing the things that He's called for us to do. Let's pray. God, I thank you challenging us and for calling us to live a life that is, is difficult. But God, I can't imagine living life any other way. Father, you tell us that when we seek after you, that the enemy will come for us. But God, we can take heart that you have overcome the world and that his power may seem great in a moment, but it's not. God, it pales in comparison to yours. And Father, I pray that with everything that we do, we are focused on making the name of Jesus great. And God, as we do that, I just greatly look forward to the lives and the families that will be changed and brought into the kingdom of God because of our obedience to Scripture and what you have called for us to do. Father, it's in Jesus' name I pray and ask all of these things.